This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, a suspected Chinese spy balloon found over the U.S. The Pentagon says it isn't able to see anything that Chinese satellites can't already see. So what's its purpose? Police are still searching for answers in the tragic shooting death of a New Jersey councilwoman. The young mother was a rising star in the Republican Party. Reproductive health is what's in the spotlight of the latest Project Veritas undercover video. Other experts weigh in. The new ban on semi-automatic weapons in Illinois faces opposition from across the state and mounting legal challenges. We hear from parties opposing the law. And the CDC says one out of five children in the U.S. are obese. We spoke to a pediatrician to find out how to best treat it and got a breakdown on new childhood obesity guidelines. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Friday, February 3rd, and a suspected Chinese spy balloon has been spotted over the U.S. Pentagon officials say they've been tra tracking it for several days now. It's believed the craft floated in from Canada before crossing airspace over Montana. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what's known so far. F-22 fighter jets were launched when the balloon was detected over Montana. Senior military leaders advised President Biden not to shoot it down. A senior defense official cautioned that the balloon is big enough to cause debris damage to those on the ground. The official says the balloon's current flight path carries it over a number of sensitive sites. He didn't go into detail into what those sites were. Montana is home to Malmstrom Air Force Base, which houses 150 intercontinental ballistic missile silos. It's possible that's what the surveillance balloon was trying to get a closer look at. But the Pentagon says the balloon doesn't have significant value above what Chinese spy satellites already have for intelligence gathering. The Pentagon press secretary says the military has taken measures to conceal any sensitive information that could be spotted from such a craft. Retired U.S. Air Force General Philip Breedlove noted the timing of the incident and questioned what the balloon was carrying or trying to sense and collect. When you get a big package like this that can carry a lot of kit, it's concerning to know what they're actually after. Breedlove suggested the possibility of the Chinese regime trying to provoke a preemptive response. If we shoot down a Chinese uh, object over our airspace, um, is that a precedent that we can live with? Would we then set a precedent whereby we think we're flying in international space near China, but they believe it's Chinese airspace? and they take the same action that we did. The incident comes at a time of heightened tensions between China and the U.S., and just days before Secretary of State Antony Blinken plans to travel to Beijing. It's pretty clear uh, that uh, China and Xi uh, have obviously been a lot more aggressive uh, about uh, their military presence, uh, South China Sea, their threats on Taiwan. The Pentagon has reportedly engaged Chinese officials through multiple channels and communicated the seriousness of the matter. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
Now, China said today it's looking into reports of the balloon and urged calm. They say they have no intention of violating the territory and airspace of any sovereign country. Republican Senator Tom Cotton is calling for Blinken to cancel his trip to China. Another group of lawmakers, including Representative Scott Perry, Nancy Mace and Byron Donalds, are urging him to make a stop in Taiwan. The U.S. House of Representatives passed a resolution denouncing socialism yesterday. The bill's approval had overwhelming bipartisan support, but not everyone was on board. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the bill's passage. The bill denouncing the horrors of socialism passed in a bipartisan vote of 327 to 86. All Republicans and 109 Democrats voted in favor of the measure. 13 Democrats voted present. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says it's concerning that the number of Democrats that voted no and present combined came close to 100. 100 Democrats couldn't say socialism was wrong. That's a scary point of view, but you also understand why we're in a spending problem that they are when they were in the majority. That's why you understand the challenges that we have here. Some Democrats who opposed the bill argued Republicans were making false connections between the policies they are pushing for and those supported by communists. They expressed concern over future cuts to Social Security and Medicare programs. Republican Representative Mike Lawler said that communism has put people into a permanent state of poverty and government dependence. The bill was introduced by Representative Maria Salazar. She grew up in Fidel Castro's Cuba and experienced the deprivation of basic essentials, a feature historically present in socialist states. Salazar argued in the bill that socialism is contrary to the founding principles of the United States and that socialist ideology necessitates a concentration of power that has time and time again collapsed into communist regimes, totalitarian rule, and brutal dictatorships. She noted socialism has repeatedly led to famine, mass murders, and the killing of over 100 million people worldwide. The resolution concluded with the declaration that Congress denounces socialism in all its forms and opposes the implementation of socialist policies in the United States of America. With the resolution's passage through the House, it could now be taken up in the Senate. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Is the COVID vaccine affecting women's reproductive health? That's what the latest Project Veritas video with an alleged Pfizer executive explores. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. The Veritas journalist asked alleged Pfizer executive Jordan Tristan Walker about vaccine injuries and liability. They then discussed problems observed with menstrual cycles. Irregular about their menstrual cycles, so you will have to investigate that down the line. Yeah. Because that is a little concerning. I mean, because, like, if you think about the science, like, it shouldn't be interacting with, like, you know, the, uh, it's called, like, the uh, hypothalamus, anti-rectory gonadal axis. Right. Like, you know, the hormones are like their menstrual cycles and things like that. The action shouldn't be interfering with that, so we don't really know. The journalist points out that Walker is a urologist, so he should understand what's going on. Walker says that's why he understands that it's weird. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, we don't discover something really bad. No, I hope we don't find out that like there's somehow this mRNA like lingers in the body and then like has because what it has to be impacting something hormonal to impact menstrual cycles. Right. So somehow the vaccine must be interacting with like the axis signal, the HPG axis, to cause these changes in menstrual cycles. The HPG axis refers to the hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and gonadal glands. It controls development, reproduction, and aging. 
So the HPG axis is why the fertility problems are happening. Yeah, because they control the cycles. So like, they're saying you're packing that, it must be packing these hormones somehow. But then we're gonna figure out like, how are they packing these hormones? Because like, the signaling starts in like the brain, right? Dr. Robert Malone says that variations in menstrual cycles and the onset of menses in postmenopausal women are troubling. All these things are pointers that there's something going wrong with the ovaries because the ovaries drive menstruation. Dr. Stephanie Seneff also weighs in. In a study that actually traced where does the RNA go, they found the, among the organs, they found the highest level in the spleen. And then among women, they found second highest level in the ovaries, which is very problematic for pregnancy. According to clinical trials, COVID-19 vaccines are reportedly unlikely to impact fertility in the long term. Walker says that looking forward, Pfizer is developing the mRNA technology for, quote, a whole list of things. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And in other news, police have yet to establish a motive in the shooting death of a New Jersey councilwoman. Eunice Jumfor was shot multiple times on Wednesday in an SUV parked outside her home. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. There were shell casings everywhere. They were telling me I couldn't park down here. The 30-year-old Republican was elected to her first three-year term in 2021, ousting the Democratic incumbent. She worked as a business analyst and part-time emergency medical technician. She had a 12-year-old daughter and was recently married. She's a very nice woman. She's always well-dressed. She's nice to everyone. She's kind, respectful. Colleagues recalled her as a soft-spoken, devout Christian who could maintain her composure in contentious situations. She's beautiful. She doesn't do no harm to anybody, literally. She's a sweetheart, like we'll see her coming down the stairwell sometimes. Several high-ranking state leaders issued statements expressing their grief over her death. Authorities have not arrested anyone for the shooting or released the names of any suspects or a possible motive for the attack. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Illinois' new semi-automatic weapons ban, known as the Protect Illinois Communities Act, was enacted only three weeks ago, but it's met with overwhelming opposition across the state, as well as legal challenges. NTD spoke with several parties opposing the law. Let's take a look. The goal of Illinois' new gun law is to address gun-related crime, but critics say the law violates federal laws and infringes on citizens' rights. As a result, gun rights advocates and one county's state's attorney have filed a parade of lawsuits against the law. And more than 80 county sheriffs in Illinois' 102 counties declared their refusal to enforce the law. Among the 80 sheriffs, Jeff Bullard says the law violates the Constitution. In Illinois, they say that you cannot even uh, have a void card or, or exercise your Second Amendment rights until you turn 21 unless you're in the military. And so that's violating the Second Amendment rights for anyone between the ages of 18 to 20 who the federal government recognizes as adults. Bullard also says the weapons banned in the law are protected by the 2008 Supreme Court ruling on D.C. versus Heller. Moreover, he says the Constitution is designed to protect individual liberties. It's designed where people are supposed to take care of themselves first. The more we get rely, uh, we rely on government to handle our day-to-day -day needs, uh, the less of a constitutional republic we'll be, 
the less of a free society we will be. Roger Crawl, the owner of R Guns, says the law makes most firearms in the state illegal with its definition of high capacity, which includes pistols with a capacity of more than 15 rounds and rifles with a capacity of more than 10 rounds. Essentially, everything you see in the background of this this thing is is covered. Uh, it's it's banning the most popular rifle in American history, which is the AR-15 type firearm. Crawl says he and his customers are angry about the gun ban's violation of their constitutional rights. Now, if you don't like the way the Constitution is, change the Constitution. Don't write laws that completely violate it. Attorney Thomas DeVore won a block on the law for more than 850 clients in an Illinois appellate court. He says the law violates equal protection rights because the law exempts certain occupations, such as retired law enforcement and correction officers. The government tries to justify that. They say, well, it's based on their training. DeVore says the problem is that law enforcement doesn't have training on all weapons. For example, he says there are no training requirements for semi-automatic rifles, 50 caliber rifles, and 30 round magazines. So to suggest that training differentiates these people, not even in their employment, let alone their individual lives, it makes no sense. The Illinois Attorney General's office responded to the appellate court ruling with the following statement to NTD. The Protect Illinois Communities Act is an important tool in what must be a comprehensive approach to addressing gun violence throughout Illinois, and we remain committed to defending the statute's constitutionality. We are reviewing the 5th District's decision, and we will seek its review by the Illinois Supreme Court. We will ask the court for an expedited schedule. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. Just ahead, Governor Ron DeSantis is moving to step up high-speed internet access in Florida. He's announced close to $150 million towards serving homes and businesses across the state. And the CDC says one out of five children are now obese in the U.S. We spoke to a pediatrician to find out how best to treat it and get a breakdown on the first childhood obesity guidelines in 15 years. We'll have more on that soon, so stay with us. Governor Ron DeSantis has announced that Florida is awarding tens of millions of dollars to expand broadband internet access across the state. Today, uh, we are here uh, to issue our first awards for broadband expansion uh, in the state of Florida. And in fact, we are going to be able to award today for all the state, 41 counties, 58 different projects. $144 million in broadband access grants. So this will benefit um, uh, many, many uh, under, unserved homes and businesses all throughout the state of Florida. A lot of times they'll be maybe in, in rural areas, sometimes they'll be in unincorporated areas, and they're just logistically haven't been able to do, so we're going to be able to come in and, and help with that. The move is aimed at helping businesses, families, and children keep up in a competitive world. DeSantis said that the initiative will not only benefit unserved or underserved rural areas, but also larger counties that experience issues with their internet. The awarded funds are aimed at improving connectivity for over 160,000 homes and businesses across the state. DeSantis said Florida allocated $400 million of its own money to broadband access in 2022. 
One out of five, that's how many kids are obese, according to the CDC. And just a few weeks ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with the first set of childhood obesity guidelines in 15 years. Now, criticism is flooding in. I spoke to Dr. Joel Warsh, a board-certified pediatrician, to get his take on the guidelines and how to best treat obesity. Here's an extraction of the interview. I agree with that. So for me, I'm I'm happy that obesity is being discussed. I think it's a major issue and it's something that we need to be talking about more. When you're talking when you're looking at one third of children who are overweight or obese, that's a big problem and it's something we absolutely need to do something about. What really frustrates me is that the the news and the media and really the focus and attention of these guidelines has been about treatment and about surgery and and that really does need to be a last resort. I'm not against medication or surgery when it's absolutely needed. It certainly can save lives and, and can be a useful tool. But I think we shouldn't be focusing so much of our attention on pushing and, and discussing with doctors about medication and treatment. I think we really need to and should be seeing such an aggressive discussion about prevention. There's so many things that can be done in society to, to curb where this is going in terms of obesity, but we're not seeing this overt uh, media cycle about all the things that we can do to change uh, and all the things that we can do to help kids um, get to a place and, and prevent obesity, right? We're, we're really seeing a lot of the discussion around medication and treatment, and that is very frustrating because that absolutely should be a last resort. We shouldn't need, and we shouldn't be in this place where we need medication and surgery for so many children. Right. And um, before we keep going, let's pause for a second and maybe to explore what exactly is obesity and what causes that. Yeah. So if you, in most of the medical literature, that's usually defined under the body mass index. So usually obesity would be defined as a body mass index above 30, overweight above 25. So on just on that, basically on the higher end, like the 95 percentile or above for uh, you know, weight and height. So that, that's really how it's generally defined. And, and obesity just in the very, or overweight in the, the very you know, basic sense is just taking in more calories. Um, and so you're, you're gaining adipose tissue and fat over time because you're taking in more calories than you're expending. I think there are many, uh, many reasons why someone may be overweight or obese. It's certainly a long-term and complex issue. There are absolutely medical uh, issues so like thyroid and, and again brain diseases so something like maybe your pituitary has uh, you know, there's a mass or something like that so there are reasons why you can be obese that have uh, very little to do with with calorie intake but that's not the norm the the norm and, and what we generally see and what I think is mostly discussed is is in the case where we're, we're, we're just not eating as healthy as we should be we're taking in more calories than we need and they're not the best kind of, of calories and so that's really what I think the vast majority of obesity is. Now, there certainly are genetic components that there are genetic components to our metabolism. If two people eat the same food, one, one may gain more weight than the other. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be obese unless you eat uh, enough calories to get to that point. So there are many uh, mental health, societal, personal genetic factors that play into that. But you still need to take in the calories over the long term to get to that point. Hmm. So it seems like that, like you said, it's quite complex and there is many different causes and treatments for obesity. So how do we recognize as an individual, you know, what the best treatment is for us? 
so that that I think is something that comes down to the family and and the practitioners that you work with. Everybody's different. Everybody's unique. And so really trying to figure out what factors are most important for you and your family are going to be the most important things. I think it has to be a multifactorial plan, which involves making sure we're getting healthy food into the home. We're getting the crappy food out of the home. We are teaching families how to cook. We're teaching families how to shop. We're making sure that we're reading labels and we're making sure that kids are getting adequate exercise. So again, it's multifactorial. And then you have to also deal with the mental health component of it as well, because there might be reasons for why we're eating unhealthy, why we you know, are anxious or stressed or depressed. And maybe that can be contributing to uh, the obesity overweight uh, condition as well. So the, all these things have to be addressed. And, and that's why, again, go back to it's really frustrating when the focus is on uh, surgery or medication because you're not you're not treating or working on any of the underlying symptoms that maybe led you to obesity. We actually spoke for a bit longer. He told me much more, including who should actually be looking into those more serious treatments like medication and surgery. So if you want to see the full version, head to our website, ntd.com. You can watch it there. And coming up, as animals around the world participated in Groundhog Day, not all are in agreement on their weather predictions. We have that story and more in just after the break. Welcome back. 50 million Americans are under a wind chill alert after the icy storm from the south moved towards the north. This morning, millions of Americans from Montana to Maine could be bracing for wind chills that feel like minus 60 degrees. In New York City, wind chills were expected to dip below zero and Boston declared a cold emergency. Schools are closed today and warming centers have been opened. The cold in the north is expected to leave on Sunday. Meanwhile, in the south, warmer weather is on the way. However, hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses were without electricity as of yesterday. Austin officials said last night they were unsure when the power would be restored. Forecasters say the northeast may be hit with the worst wind chill temperatures in decades. Right. Dress warmly, everybody. I definitely felt it this morning. Oh, yeah, me too. And on the topic of weather, Evelyn, did you know the famed groundhog Punxsutawney Phil in Pennsylvania predicted six more weeks of winter yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I did. But Chuck the groundhog in New York doesn't agree. And I know other animals also participated in the forecast, so let's take a look. Is it going to be a longer winter, or do we expect warmer weather to come? As animals around the world participated in Groundhog Day, Conch the meteorologist from the Florida Keys saw its shadow. Our mollusk meteorologist concurred with Punxsutawney Phil and saw its shadow today and is predicting six more weeks of winter in the north because it's beautiful here in the Florida Keys. It's taken years of training to get this conch to be a, a meteorologist mollusk and um, we think he's got a perfect record so far. But Chuck the groundhog from New York saw it differently. Chuck predicts in early spring. He's got an 80% um, accuracy rate, uh, which is tops among groundhogs. It's actually the top um, out of any predicting groundhog. So uh, I think we're in for some warm weather. The zoo's director says groundhogs are natives to most of the United States. 
this is kind of the time of year where um, groundhogs and other hibernating animals kind of start testing the weather because if it is a little bit warmer than usual sometimes they do tend to come out a little bit um, and then if it's but if it's uh, kind of seasonably cold they will go back in um, and hibernate for a little bit longer. This year, students from Susan E. Wagner High School will be tracking the weather over the next six weeks, monitoring the accuracy of Chuck's prediction. Well, then there's also Flatiron Freddy. He agreed with Punxsutawney Phil. Although he's stuffed, I'm, it has to account for something, right? Flatiron Freddy. All oh, those marmots, you know, there's always predicting something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, we're ending it here. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.